Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Well, good morning. This morning we are continuing our series on following Jesus together, which, I don't know, happens to be something important around here. It's our motto here at Compass. And uh, today we're looking at following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? How do we follow Jesus And last week we talked about how the most important word in that motto, following Jesus together, is that middle word, Jesus. Because if we follow Elon Musk together, that's going to look a little bit different than following (laughs) Jesus. In fact, following Elon Musk on Twitter, at least, is very easy. You just have to click a little button and then there you go. You've done it. You've accomplished it. Uh, Following Jesus is a little bit different than that. So last week we saw that Jesus is the only human worthy of following completely. Uh, We talked about last week how he is the promised seed of the woman. He is the prophet like Moses that we should listen to. He is the son of David. He is the son of God. He is Lord over everything except for his father, as it says explicitly in 1 Corinthians 15. So this week we asked the next logical question. Well, if we know we want to follow Jesus, what does that look like? How do we do it? And this morning, we're going to see three main ways that we can follow Jesus. Uh, The first one is we follow Jesus by listening to his words. And we're going to see this morning that those are the words that his father gave to him. Uh, The second thing we're going to do is we're going to follow Jesus by imitating his example. And that example is revealed to us through the gospel accounts. Then third, we can follow Jesus by imitating those who also followed him And that can be found, some of that can be found in the pages of the other New Testament documents. Uh, But we also are going to talk about uh, following Jesus as we see him in the people around us, uh, in the community uh, of faith around us. So we're going to start actually one of our texts from last week. If you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy 18, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start by looking at following Jesus by listening to his words. And last week, we again, we saw how important uh, Jesus Uh, is and how important he was and the concept of Messiah and this coming figure who is going to come in the name of the Lord and the name of Yahweh. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, I want to go back to the prophecy we looked at last week about the prophet like Moses, because there's something here that we're going to pick up and then carry with us the rest of the way. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, it says, The Lord, Yahweh your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall what? Listen, just as you desired of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And Yahweh said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words, Yahweh's words, in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So we see here how this prophet like Moses was going to come, and he's not just going to be an intermediary or an intercessor or a prophet like Moses was, But in some larger sense, he is going to have the words of God on his lips. And he's going to speak those words. And when he does, our response, if we want to be on the good side of Yahweh, if we want to be on the right side of of God, we are going to listen to those words and obey those words. And so uh, let's turn to John, John chapter 7. If you want to understand following Jesus, 
I highly recommend the Gospels, but one of the places we're going to spend a lot of time in is the Gospel of John. Because all throughout the Gospel of John, it talks about how he's the one who's being sent by the Father. It, talks him the, it calls him the sent one in the Gospel of John over 40 times. And Jesus talks a lot about what that means in his life, how he's the sent one, how he hears the words of his father, how he's speaking the words, how his doctrine is not his, but the one who sent him. All these things that he's layering on for us. And the whole point of that is we can do the same thing because we're following in his footsteps. So when we think about Deuteronomy 18, there's this coming prophet like Moses. He's going to speak the words that God gives him. So in the New Testament, it should be clear that Jesus is that prophet. We should, in other words, we should be able to find records that explicitly make this claim that Jesus is the prophet like Moses. And we do. We get that actually in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. But I want to point out that these truths are in the Gospel of John, repeated over and over again. In John chapter 7, verse 16, it says, So Jesus answered them, He's talking to a group of people, including some of the leaders, the religious leaders. In, chap- in verse 16, it says, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own, on my own authority. And so here he's very clearly saying that his teaching, the things that he's saying, they're not his. That he has this authority These words come from his father, who he explicitly calls God here in this passage. If you turn the page with me to John 8, we'll pick up the record in verse 25. And and again, they're interrogating Jesus. They're trying to figure out uh, what is he going to say about himself. Verse 25, it says, So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I love his answer here. It's not clear at all. (laughs) Just what I told you from the beginning. I've been telling you this whole time. Well, they're asking him a question. And they're trying to get him to say something specific about himself that they can can attack him on. That's what they're really trying to get at. And he's been saying, look, I've been been making these claims from the beginning. What is he citing? What is he quoting here? He's going to end up quoting Deuteronomy 18. He's, He's essentially saying, I'm the prophet like Moses. I've been telling you from the beginning that my words are not mine, that God's putting the words in my mouth, that... The things I'm telling you are true. All these things are pointing right back at Deuteronomy 18. And so if they were listening, if they, and they knew, this, they knew these texts, they should have been listening, paying attention. Verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. Verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So again, Jesus is saying, my words, they're coming from God, and he defines God to be the Father here. And so Jesus' responsibility as the prophet like Moses is to correctly hear the words of God and then correctly deliver those words. And that's what he's doing very faithfully here. Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This idea of being lifted up is interesting because uh, throughout the Hebrew Bible, uh, there's this idea of being exalted or lifted up. But here Jesus is actually not talking only about his resurrection and ascension. 
He also uses this language to talk about his crucifixion. That when he's lifted up, that they will know that he is the Messiah. The I am he here, just like it is in throughout the Gospel of John, is a reference to I am the Messiah. I am the one who is a prophet like Moses. I am the son of God. I am the son of David. And here specifically, he uses the term son of man, which was his favorite self-designation. And I'm, you know, there's a lot to unpack with all that. There is the exalted son of man in Daniel 7. Uh, but you know, there's this idea where you could, you could hear him saying that and you could hear him saying that and understand that he's talking about, I'm a human. I'm a human being. That's what Son of Man generally meant. It was used in Ezekiel many, many times just to mean like a human being. But there is this exalted Son of Man figure too. So he's sort of introducing an interesting double entendre for people that they have to sort out for themselves. They have to decide, is he the one who is this exalted figure in Daniel 7? Uh, is he the one who's the prophet like Moses? Because that's what he's uh, basically claiming right here in this passage. So we're going to continue on in John chapter 8 here to the verses that uh, Robin read for us earlier. In verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So building up to this point, he is saying his words are coming from a place. What place is that? His words are coming from God. And if his words are coming from God, then they are the words of truth. And so if you live in the words of truth, if you do the words of truth, that is ultimately in Jesus' mind what sets you free. That is ultimately what does the trick for you. And that is how we can be his disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That is, how, that is what it takes for us to take on this mantle of being his disciple. So that's what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to respond. Now, like I said, this is a mixed crowd. Some are believing him. Some are acknowledging what he's saying is true. They see, yes, he is a prophet like Moses. We should listen to him. God wants us to listen to him. But there are people in that crowd that don't want to listen to him, and they poke him back. In verse 33, uh, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I'm going to stop there for a second. Verse 33 always makes me laugh. We have never been enslaved to anyone. Really? Really? They're literally enslaved to the Romans right when they're saying this. And not to mention that the two most important things in the Old Testament are being enslaved to Egypt and then being exiled in, in, in slavery to Assyria and uh, Babylon and Persia, you know, secession of uh, rulers above them. So, yeah, they had been slaves before. <laughs> Very literally had been slaves and were slaves essentially had been enslaved to the Romans right then. Uh, so yeah, they're just not making, they're not, uh, not only are they missing the point of Jesus' words, their own self, their view of themselves is deluded. They're being delusional right now. It's wild. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now, this is dangerous for them, right? Because his words are coming from God, and that's what he says. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and yet, and you do what you have heard from your father. And this is right before he tells them that their father is the devil. We're going to stop before we get to that point. Uh, but, <laughs> but the whole point here that we're trying to make is, is that uh, Jesus has the words of God. 
And Jesus is that prophet like Moses, and we are to listen to him. And if we do that, if we follow his words, then we get to escape uh, the penalties of sin. We get to escape that slavery from sin. Uh, What I love about verse 34 here where he says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We could just copy this verse and paste it right in Romans 6. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans 6, especially in verses 16 and following. This is Paul's exact argument in Romans chapter 6. So, again, Jesus and Paul are on the same page on this. Um, So, again, just to go over the passage context here that we've gone through, uh, first, the words that Jesus spoke in the Gospels. I know we've been focusing on the Gospel of John to this point, and he's making these claims very evidently in the Gospel of John and throughout John. Uh, but really throughout the rest of the Gospels, the words that Jesus said that are recorded for us in the Gospels, those are the words the Father wants us to know. Those are the words that our Father wants us to obey, the words that our Father wants us to live. So second to that is if we want to be disciples of Jesus, then what do we need to do? Pay attention to and obey those words. Uh, Luke 6, 46, we're not going to go there. I'll put it on the slides real quick here. says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So we're going to look a little bit more at this uh, Lord-servant relationship, but that relationship, uh, by very definition, requires obedience. So when we think about making Jesus our Lord, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10, for example, implicitly what that means is we are to follow him, we are to do what he said to do, and also to avoid what he said to avoid. So uh, when we think about following Jesus, you know, this language of following Jesus is not throughout the whole New Testament, that, that, that explicit language of following Jesus. When we were talking about the motto for compass, a couple of different ideas got thrown out, and this one got thrown out. And some of, the, some of the pushback has been that Jesus says, follow me to his disciples in the Gospels, but then we really don't get that explicit following language in the rest of the New Testament. And one of the main points I'm trying to make in this particular teaching is is that just because this specific language is only in specific spots of the Gospels, for example, it doesn't mean that that idea doesn't carry through in the rest of the New Testament. And so I want to point out that there are three lenses through which we can think about, three relationships we can think about following Jesus in that language. Uh, The first one is master and disciple. The second one is shepherd and sheep. And the third one is Lord and servant. So we're going to go through these in turn. The first one is master and disciple. And again, we're not going to go to Matthew 10, but it says in Matthew 10, 24 through 25a, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. So in in the uh, ZIBBC, Uh, the Zondervan Illustrated Biblical Backgrounds Commentary on Matthew, Michael Wilkins says this about the student-teacher relationship. The word student, mathetes, is the common word for disciple. The ultimate goal of a disciple is to be like the master, a general principle of master-disciple relations in Judaism and the Greco-Roman world. And so when Jesus would go to the people that would eventually be called his disciples, and he said, follow me. He would say, follow me. There's this implicit understanding that they understood that when, when he said that, if they were to respond favorably to that, what that meant is he's saying, you want to imitate me. You want my life to be replicated in your life. 
then come with me. And so when they accepted that invitation, that was the whole point. The whole point was they were trying to be like Jesus. And the same is true for us today. When we accept the call to be a disciple, what that means is I want to be like him. I want to be like him. And think about how we can do that. We can do that through the power of the Spirit and through the example that we have in Scripture. So again, the emphasis with this master-disciple relationship, the thing that it's trying to point us to is that we want to see his life, Christ's life, reflected in our life. That's what it means to be a disciple. Our goal is to be like him. Another way to look at this, another relationship that helps us understand this is the shepherd and the sheep. And behind me, we have a picture of a shepherd with his sheep. And I, look, I know that this example sometimes gets negative press because sheep are, quite frankly, they're dumb animals, right? I'm sure you guys have seen the memes and the little videos of, uh, you know, the sheep that ends up somehow like burrowed in this hole underneath the ground and the shepherd's like using the rod to like pull them out. And sometimes the caption is like, this is Jesus with me on my worst days or something like that, right? Like he has to pull us out of the, the thick brush, right? So here's the thing. We are not to be sheeple, right? I mean, we talk about this all the time here at Compass. I want you to think about uh, what's being taught. I don't want you just to to follow me because I say something and it sounds good. You know, we are not to be sheeple, okay? But I think there's a couple important things about the shepherd-sheep relationship that are interesting. Uh, The first one is, uh, what's the difference between us and God? Is it more or less than the difference between a sheep and us? (laughs) Interesting perspective if we think about it. Uh, Sometimes we are dumb, right? I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I am dumb. And if you want an extended list of when I am dumb, there's someone in Kids Fellowship who could tell you more about that. Um, So that is is one aspect of it. But the point I want to make with the picture here is, is that there's a beautiful picture of provision that comes with this idea of a shepherd and sheep. Uh, When we think about shepherds and sheep, I think about Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is just a beautiful portrayal of Yahweh and his care for his people. Um, And throughout the Old Testament, God, it talks about, if you want to do like a a word study on shepherd throughout the Hebrew Bible, you'll see that God yearns for good shepherds for his people, and frequently he finds only bad ones. Uh, you could even just limit your search, for example, to the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah uh, 2, you'd find an example of God lamenting evil shepherds. And in Jeremiah 3, you'd find a promise where he promises to send the people good shepherds. So this idea of God's provision uh, through uh, leaders that he sends is a powerful one. So what about Jesus? If we turn a couple pages to John 10, we find out that the greatest of all the shepherds that God sent is, in fact, the one that we are following, the one who shepherds us, Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays, lays down his life for the sheep. Did he do that? Yeah, he did. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd." 
Uh, I enjoy verse 16 because I think it might be possibly, I don't think we can dogmatically say this, but I think it might be a reference to us as Gentiles because he's talking to Jews there and he says, hey, there's this other flock over here that they haven't had the ability to hear this message yet, but I'm going to bring them in too. And there's going to be one flock, one shepherd. To me, that sounds like one body and the things that Paul unpacks later in the epistles. But again, the emphasis here is an emphasis of provision. It's the emphasis that uh, when we are sheep, in the context, the good context of following Jesus, that means we listen to his voice, we hear his voice. We are humble ones following the good shepherd. And I think about this too in light of my office as a pastor. The word pastor just means shepherd. And so my calling is to take care of the church through service. You know, my job is to be uh, someone who cares for the flock. And I think it's important as a pastor to remember that I am always underneath the authority of Jesus. And so if we imagine like this podium is like, this is me, if I'm standing in this little confines here that I am, I am doing what God has called me to do, I'm doing what Jesus would want me to do. If I step over here and start leading you over here and doing stuff over here, then what are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to follow me. You're not supposed to follow me. So the moment that I step outside the authority of Jesus, I become a bad shepherd, just like it talks about, and I'm unworthy of following. I think that's important. A third way to look at this, uh, a third relationship is the Lord-servant relationship. We talked about uh, Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? Uh, Joel Green says this about that verse. He says, quote, in this instance, Lord is a term of great respect. Those who use it would thus be designated Jesus as their patron, the one to whom they owe allegiance. How can they speak of allegiance and not grant it? I think, too, about Romans chapter 1, verse 1, that word doulos that a lot of us are familiar with. It means a bond slave or a slave or a servant. Uh, it gets used a couple different ways. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul explicitly calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. And in the New International Commentary uh, volume on this, Douglas Moo says, the phrase slave of Christ Jesus connotes total devotion, suggesting that the servant is completely at the disposal of his or her Lord. So when Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, what he means by that is he is so devoted to following Jesus, this is what he self-designates as. So again, when we see this language of Lord, which, by the way, the term Lord gets used of Jesus over 200 times in just the epistles of Paul alone, when we see that language, that language is indicative of following Jesus. Because if we claim Jesus as Lord, then what that means is we've accepted the responsibility to follow him. So that's a little bit about following Jesus' words. We're also going to talk about following Jesus by imitating his example. And these two things are certainly tied together. Uh, if we want to turn to John chapter 15. Understanding his words, we're going to see this here in this context, uh, obeying his words and following his words and, and imitating his example, those two things go hand in hand. Uh, if they didn't go hand in hand, then we'd be saying that Jesus is a hypocrite, <laughs> which I don't think any of us want to say. Uh, so, we're going to follow his words. We're going to follow his example. Those two things go completely hand in hand. 
And one of the ways that we can uh, see this more clearly is reading through, again, the Gospel of John generally. But if you want to see it you know, even more focused in, the section John 13 through 16, where Jesus is teaching his disciples one last time. He's trying to give them one last uh, deep insight into what it looks like to be a disciple. And in John 15, we're just going to pick a couple verses out here. But again, this, this whole chapter, this whole section is fantastic on this. Uh, verse 12, it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So he starts by saying, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So he goes immediately from what he commands them to what he is going to do and how he's going to live this in a complete way. And we don't need to necessarily uh, die for Christ, although some of our brothers and sisters, if you want to listen to Sean Finnegan's uh, class on church history, man, you'll see some devoted people who ended up, uh, ended up dying for Christ um, throughout, throughout the history of the world. Thankfully, many of us don't face that. And of course, his death was something separate from what our death for Christ would look like. Uh, that's for sure true. But the point that he's trying to make here is, is that if we want to love one another as he loved us, that means being willing to lay down our lives for other people. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So we want to be friends of Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And so uh, what that means here is laying down our lives for people in service. So uh, I have a list here of things. We've got some bullet points here. There's so much we could do imitating Jesus' example. Um, The first bullet point here is love others as he loved us, uh, even our enemies, (laughs) which is the difficult part. Uh, The second one, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. The third one, preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 24, it says, here's the gospel of the kingdom. It's been preached, and it's going to be preached until I return. That's Matthew 24. Teach others how to follow Christ. It's another way we can, you know, he taught his disciples. He told them, we're going to see even in a second here, he told them to make disciples. And here we are 2,000 years later because people did that, because people listened to what Jesus said and did that. Another way we can follow Jesus by imitating his example is by showing the power of God. He did that all over the place. He healed people. He cast out spirits. Uh, He did all sorts of amazing things, raised people from the dead. Uh, We can seek God completely in prayer and with our minds. Uh, Jesus was a great example of someone who did seek God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. He sought God in prayer. Uh, He cared for the downcast, the poor, the needy, and the broken, and he taught us to do the same. And then, of course, uh, the great bucket of living righteously. That's a huge umbrella. It means a lot of different things, but uh, living righteously, his life was a life we can uh, see as an excellent example of what it means to be a human, the way that God intended it to be. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. I want to focus in on one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples. And really, it is what he commands, but it's also what he did. And thank God he did it because that's how we end up here today. In Matthew 28, uh, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so what we see here is is that Jesus made disciples. That's what he spent 
his ministry doing is making disciples, uh, being around them, showing them how he lived, how he worked, how God worked in him to the point where they could duplicate that. They could see his example. They could listen to his words. They could duplicate what he did. And really what we get in Acts and the epistles and all the later writings of the New Testament is exactly that. We see how they live in light of what Jesus taught them and the example that he gave them. And thank God that they did that because if they don't do that, if this whole thing sputters out, you know, five years or ten years after Jesus is raised from the dead, we're not here. We're not here right now. We might, well, we might be here in the synagogue, but we're not here talking about Jesus in the synagogue. <laughs> so anyway, something to think about. So now our responsibility is to imitate that example that we've been given. We, we disciple ourselves to Christ. We follow Jesus. And then we seek other people to come into that relationship too, where they can come and be disciples as well. So now our third point is we follow Jesus by imitating those who followed him. Found, again, our first examples are the pages of people in the New Testament documents, but also the people here in this community. We can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because people listened to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, we end up with uh, things like the gospel accounts. We end up with the book of Acts. We end up with uh, the epistles. We end up with all this amazing stuff. Um, and so in Acts chapter 18, Luke records how Paul planted the church in Corinth. This is a little bit of background here to what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 4. So later when Paul is addressing problems in the Corinthian church, he writes them a letter, this 1 Corinthian letter. Uh, he uses language that reminds them of how he planted that church. Uh, so this is really interesting, how he introduced them to Christ, and he exhorts them to follow his example. 1 Corinthians 4, 14, Paul, Paul wrote, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, I planted this church. <laughs> Verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Verse 17, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways, period? No, to remind you of my ways, what? In Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul wanted this church to be reminded of his ways in Christ, not his weaknesses, not his shortcomings, they weren't to imitate those things. So Paul here, like any good father, he's using the analogy of a father with children. As a father, I don't want my kids to imitate my weaknesses. And sometimes I see them in them. I'm like, oh man, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Do, my, do the good stuff I do. Don't do the bad stuff I do. Oh man. That's what Paul's saying here. Imitate my ways that are in Christ. Those are the things worth imitating. And so here we are, thank God, we have these texts preserved through the ages for us. Now we can imitate Paul's ways in Christ too. We're to imitate Paul's ways in Christ. And I think we should add to that too, that we can see the examples of other people here in this room and imitate their ways in Christ as well. So as we wind down this morning, you know, when I think about our motto, following Jesus together, I think it's important to see how, exactly how biblical it is. It's not, it's not just the moments in the Gospels where Jesus is looking at Matthew and he says, follow me. 
Or when he's talking to Nathaniel in the Gospel of John and he says, follow me. Those, those are true. Those are moments where he's inviting people in to follow him. But that invitation is still being extended to this day. And it doesn't have to have the language of follow me. It can have other, other language. When the epistles talk about walking in the Spirit, that means following Jesus. Who better lived an example of a life walking in the Spirit than Jesus did? When we read about being a servant of Christ or that Jesus is Lord, that means following Jesus. When we are told to fight against the spiritual darkness of this world, as it talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, that means following Jesus. Who was better than Jesus at fighting the works of darkness? No one. When we read that we are to walk in love, that means following Jesus. Who exhibited the love of God more than he did? When we read that we are to have the faith of Jesus or faith in Jesus or the faithfulness of Jesus, those of you that are a little bit more read into the scholarly debates about what pistis means in all these different contexts will understand. Um, it doesn't matter if you think faith of Jesus, faith in Jesus, faithfulness of Jesus, whatever the language you prefer is, who did that better? Who was more faithful than he was? Who had more faith than he did? Who, who believed God more than he did? That's who we are to follow. When we read that we are to walk in the light, that means following Jesus. Who walked in the light better than he did? And so I think about these words in John 8 as we close this morning. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever what? Follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is what we have to bring people. By taking on this mantle of being a disciple of Christ, uh, by being one of his sheep who listen to his voice, uh, by being one of his servants who waits on and expects his direction in our lives so that we can follow that direction, this is what we bring to the world. We bring the same light, the same love, the same power that he brought to the people around us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a great calling we've been given. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's so remarkable that we have this ability to be called into this relationship with you and with your son Jesus, to have been given the spirit, uh, to have been given this calling, follow me. We pick up that mantle today and every day, God. We are so excited to be in this relationship with you, to see how you work in our lives and how you are helping us to become more and more like our master each and every day. Father, we know it takes our intentional effort for that to happen. We ask for your grace and your guidance and your mercy uh, when we are, are doing these things the right way and when we have days where we stumble, we know that your grace is there for us too, Father, and your mercy too. And so today and every day, we're just, we're overwhelmed. We're so thankful, uh, joyful that we have this ability to, to read about your son and to see his example and to imitate it and to bring your love and light to the world around us. And that's what you've called us to do. We're just overwhelmed that we are the ones that can do it. So we thank you for that today, this morning. In the name of your son and our Lord, Jesus the King, amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast.
For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.